Protests erupt throughout the country, including in Tennessee, resulting in the governor deploying the National Guard, and the legislature returns for an uncertain session. Welcome to Grand Divisions. This is the week of June 1st. I'm Joel Ebert. And I'm Natalie Allison. Well, it's been uh, a minute since both of us were in the studio. We are now staring at the wall so we don't get um, (laughs) anything on each other. I'm back Um, from furlough, everyone. Good to be back. Well, Natalie, uh, first top of the order, I guess, is is the protest that we saw erupt uh, throughout the country, but largely we're focused on here in Tennessee. Uh, over the weekend, we saw protests in Murfreesboro, Chattanooga, Memphis, Jackson, Knoxville, and of course, Nashville. Um, Natalie was out there on Saturday night. Um, what was the scene like? Well, the the day had begun with a um, a, pl- a planned rally. It was organized by a number of established community activists here in Nashville, attended by the mayor, by other elected officials. Um, by all accounts, a peaceful rally. I was scheduled to come on later, so I wasn't there. Um, but I, I did get there as the, the that rally ended, and it turned into a march. Um, and that march wound up at. Uh, Metro Nashville Police Department Central Precinct over on uh, Korean Veterans Boulevard. Um, and they, it began to get violent. They began smashing a, a police cruiser and, um, there were some altercations between protesters and the police. Um, and that was when we first saw the, the police come out and, and this tactical gear and ballistic vests and helmets and bringing out the, the mounted officers and things like that. Um, and then from there, the, the group went to the Metro Nashville courthouse that's a historic courthouse which also serves as city hall um where some of them began smashing windows and setting it on fire um, along the way between um between the rally and the precinct and the courthouse there was you know some of them uh writing explicit graffiti on on random items around town and and it and it culminated in this um this significant, massive vandalism and rioting at the courthouse. And simultaneously, some of them were also tearing down the statue of Edward Carmack over at the Tennessee Capitol. I actually talked to a a state trooper yesterday who said he watched it uh, go down and it was four people took it down, which is really kind of an astounding thing when you hear that uh, now a crane is going to have to be brought over to move the the actual statue. Uh, Can't imagine how heavy it might have been. Um, but yeah. you know, the, the destruction, um, led to a, um, curfew being implemented by the mayor of Nashville, uh, which the governor followed up. Uh, of course, I guess he has to do some sort of, uh, executive order to sort of certify it. Um, we've also seen, um, you know, tensions, protests throughout the state and other cities, um, you know, the the uh, Memphis um, Police Department has had to, you know, keep an eye on and, and, and be engaged with uh, hundreds of protesters over the last five days we've seen. And now the National Guard uh, was reportedly out there last night, according to our colleagues out in the commercial appeal. Um, we've seen protests uh, on Sunday in uh, Chattanooga as well. Um, and there was a, a significant gathering in Murfreesboro um, in 
I, I think it was all three places, according to on-the-ground reporters. I don't know for sure, but in all three places, there were some kind of uh, police presence that resulted in what appears to be uh, tear gas being deployed. Yeah, that's that's what it looks like from watching what other reporters have um, said about what was going on there. Certainly tear gas was used in Nashville, although it seems like uh, police in Nashville held off much longer than they did in some of these other cities. Uh, police literally did not start deploying tear gas and flashbangs until people were um, c- completely defacing the courthouse and setting it on fire. And, and they did that to get people away from it. So firefighters could go in and put the fire out and they could stop people from continuing to to destroy the front of this public building. Which appears to be different than what went on in Murfreesboro. Uh, according to our colleagues who were down there, it uh, looked like there were a group of people who were, again, just gathered. They weren't defacing anything, it appeared. Uh, and there was just tear gas shot off into this crowd of protesters. Yeah, that's what it sounds like. It sounds like the, the criteria for deploying tear gas and um, perhaps pepper spray. Um, I think maybe a Memphis reporter had reported uh, pepper spray was used in Memphis. I think the criteria for some of those departments was was much lower than in Nashville. And um, in Nashville, at least from my observation, it, it did not appear that the police were instigating um, violence. It, it did seem like they were making an effort to hold off on on using force um, until they, they finally couldn't. And some would argue that they did wait too long um, after a lot of damage was done. All of this comes after last week, just last week, the death of uh, George Floyd, an African-American man who uh, was killed by an officer who was kneeling on his neck along with it looks like at least a couple of other uh, policemen uh, in Minneapolis. Um, That city has erupted in protests and there has been significant damage to the city. We've seen similar protests and violence throughout the country in major and minor cities. I used to work in South Dakota. I never thought I'd hear that there would be protests and tear gas deployed in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. But that is one of many cities right now. Uh, that are facing uh, boiling over what it, it appears to be frustration by, um, you know, I, I don't know who who are some of these people that, you know, are, are going out to protest. It seems, um, you know, to be some folks are surmising that it's organized. Other folks are saying that, you know, this is just people that are turning out to the streets to show their frustration. Who did you see on Saturday, Natalie? You know, I, we saw a, a variety of people. There's this there's this obviously this d- debate that is prompted by the president's uh, comments about Antifa, um, about who is is instigating these riots. And I can tell you, I saw a variety of different people. Um, I've, I've, I've covered a number of protests and usually you can tell, you know, when people are there together and um, there were a lot of different groups. It wasn't just people who appeared to be Antifa or people who appeared to be Black Lives Matter or, or people, people who are just out of state right. versus in state. Sure. I mean, um, we saw the Metro Police arrested a man who, uh, reportedly was behind lighting the city hall on fire. Yeah. Who's from Madison. Yeah. So uh, all sorts of people. I mean, honestly, I, I just, I don't think it would be fair to try to, to pin blame on any one particular group in state, out of state, Antifa, not like whatever. I mean, 
sure, may, maybe someone organized it, but I can tell you, I, I observed a, a wide range of people of many different demographics taking uh, clubs and bats and rocks to the windows of Metro Courthouse and, and a variety of different people spray painting it and putting, um, you know, setting it on fire. And so I, I don't know that it's even the most helpful question right now is who was the first person to walk up to the building and do it. Uh, we could go back and forth about that, but it, it shows that there are... Um, there are many people who are seizing on this um, this moment to to let their frustration be known. Um, they are they aren't they aren't okay with with what they see as um, police brutality that has continued in our nation over the course of decades and and all across the country. As you as you noted, this this is happening even in small cities, even in places where there aren't active. Uh, protest movements. In some cities, you see protests all the time. In Nashville, we see protests sometimes, but never like this. I mean, we don't see this kind of violence in Nashville. And so it's evoked this kind of response that I, I don't think people have seen in this country for decades. A lot of people are saying this this feels like the late 60s. Um, and so it, there's this question of what next? What, what should city leaders be doing? What should governors be doing? What should the president be doing? Um, we, we heard from the governor at the end of last week, I think it was on Thursday, um, that he, you know, he condemned what happened in Minneapolis and he he made some general comments about police brutality not being law enforcement and um, we we need to to work to prevent this from happening, but it's it's unclear what that will mean for the state. Will any kind of concrete action be taken? Is there anything the governor can do or um, law enforcement leaders in the state can do that actually would... Um, bring some kind of concrete change other than just saying, let's talk about this. And while a lot remains unknown, what we do know is that the governor, as a result of the violence in Nashville, uh, decided to increase his deployment for law enforcement purposes of the National Guard. Um, on Saturday, he had, it looks like 75 um, troops were assisting Metro Police and Highway Patrol Police. Uh, that increased on Sunday when uh, National Guardsmen were sent out throughout the state. Um, and we don't have the exact numbers on that as of this recording, um, but it is unclear how long, uh, you know, this tension will continue, not only in Tennessee, but throughout the country. We are at an unusual uh, moment. And, and yesterday when I was, you know, keeping an eye on what was going on in Nashville uh, outside the Capitol, it was hard not to think back and look back at the um, images that were captured in 1968 when there were uh, troopers lined up outside of the state capitol uh, keeping guard on that after uh, Dr. Martin Luther King was assassinated in Memphis. Yeah, and and I think, you know, this um, this feeling of what are officials to do and who who is in charge and who is going to lead, I think that, you know, that's been um, a feeling people have had for a couple of months now. We, we saw that during um, some of the early stages of the coronavirus pandemic coming uh, to Tennessee. Certainly other states were experiencing this too, but this this disconnect between our, our mayors, the ones who are going to need to implement um, these decisive actions in cities or should the governor be doing it or should the president be doing it? Right. Um, and our governor's taking the lead in the absence of what others are doing. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. And, and that this, there's uncertainty even going into this legislative session on 
who is in charge right now? Who is going to decide what uh, the General Assembly in Tennessee is going to take up in these couple weeks, or some of them say it should be longer, um, that they've returned to the Capitol to do the people's business? There's there's this, there's this uncertainty there on who is going to call the shot and who is going to decide what the priorities should be for this state. It's it's interesting. So this is our sort of segue into the next topic, which is, of course, the legislature, right? That is our main focus. Um, but right now, we a lot is unknown about that, right? You've got the, the House saying that they are going to take up uh, – last week, they, they calendared 390-some-odd bills. Um, of course, they only took up, I think, a little over 130 or so. Yes, per your calculations, <laughs> Joel, it was yeah. 391 bills that were on the calendars for last week's House committees. Um, 211, that's a little over 50%, that's 54%, were taken off notice. So they, they did nothing with them. They said, we're not going to take these up. Um, so of the 138, they took up 20 failed. Three were sent to summer study. One was sent to the clerk's desk. Um, and an, another 19 were delayed until another committee meeting. And so all that work took place in, I think, about 28 hours. Um, and it might all be useless, um, depending on the bill. If it had not already passed in the Senate, it really, uh, several of them add money to the state uh, budget. Uh, they, uh, you can't imagine the Senate would really acquiesce to any of those uh, major pieces or minor uh, that would put the state in an already, um, you know, bigger hole than it's facing right now, which ranges from, you know, estimates of a couple hundred million to in excess of one and a half billion uh, for both for this fiscal year uh, and then next fiscal year. Um, the state is right now talking and asking departments to look at 12 percent budget cuts that may not mean implementing all those. But, uh, you know, we are certainly in an uncertain financial situation. Um, so it's interesting, to say the least, to have the House moving forward with uh, legislation that they deem necessary and uh, the Senate saying, no, no, no. Uh, we are only going to deal with budget things and COVID related items. Um, it, there's going to be a, a day where they collide, I imagine. Yeah, they're they're going to have to make a decision, and it, if they just continue in uh, the places they are, it, it means um, probably most of the bills that the House is um, going to all of this effort to move through committee and, and schedule for the floor. Most of those bills probably won't become law because the Senate has said repeatedly. Um, for weeks now, you could argue back to mid-March when session was rapidly winding down to take a, a recess, they've been saying, we are only concerned at this point with um, crucial legislation to deal with the pandemic, as well as to make needed budget cuts for the projected revenue shortfalls. And so the, the Senate is saying, as recently as you know, we spoke at the end of the week with Senate leadership, with, with um, Leader Jack Johnson and with Lieutenant Governor Randy McNally, and, and they they said, no, we, we, we don't, there is no plan for us to, to acquiesce, for us to um, concede and take up this long list of House bills. So if, if that remains the case, then, you know, the House will, will simply be going to all this effort and um, likely those bills won't become law. Now the House could also um, try to hold up the budget or, you know, do something like that. And so we don't really know what will play out. The difficult thing with the budget is normally it's sort of the nuclear option, right? The budget must be passed 
uh, in order for lawmakers to kind of leave. Well, the budget's already passed. Yeah, there is a budget. They passed one in March. So <laughs> right. it's not like you can hit that nuclear button and say, oh, well, we just won't pass a budget. No, they, they already did. What they need to do now is reopen the budget, i.e. start a new bill, and just slash it. Because that's what uh, you've heard from the state. You've heard from uh, economists that the the uh, state is is going to go through uh, another couple of months of financial hurt at least, and that there might be a uh, years long recovery uh, from what has gone on with this pandemic. Um, so it, a lot remains to be seen tonight. Um, this we're recording this on Monday. Uh, will be one of the bills that um, the House scheduled in March to take up uh, on its calendar. It's a bill to make the Holy Bible the state's official book that was last taken up in 2016. Governor Bill Haslam at the time vetoed it. The House tried to override it. They didn't uh, succeed in that effort. Uh, so I, I caught up with uh, House Speaker Cameron Sexton as to why uh, that was good public policy and necessary. And he essentially just said, look, we're asking uh, everybody to get back to work um, almost as if things are normal while we understand people are wearing masks and, and you know, business is not on the same, um, you know, amount as it was pre-pandemic. Um, we should be doing the same uh, activity. We should be going about our business as usual. And I think the Bible Bill really illustrates the dy dynamic going on right now because the House could have just taken that off the calendar for the floor session. That That's an example where um, there, there is no question about whether the Senate is going to take up that bill. Not and even that before. That's not policy. Yeah, it's not policy. And even before the pandemic, the lieutenant governor back in I don't know, probably February, was mm -hmm. saying, "No, I, I, I'm not supportive of this bill." And so, how much more now can we be sure that this is not going to be something um, that anyone in the Senate, at least from all accounts we've seen, is going to be pushing? To, to pass on the Senate floor. And so the House's decision to keep that on its floor calendar, to spend time debating that, uh, to spend time voting on that, um, you know, it, it's interesting. It's, it's, it seems like this is just some kind of ceremonial move and, and something to send a message about what their priorities are. One last thing to, uh, that we will be keeping an eye on is, of course, this sort of interaction between the chambers, but also the public. There is going to be a limited version of the public in both the Cordell Hall building and the Capitol this week. Uh, it looks like the Senate is going to continue to not allow members of the public because of their decision to only work on uh, mission critical, they say, only legislation. The House is working on a whole different set of uh, ideas, so therefore they want to allow uh, lobbyists and others into the building. But it will be really limited. Um, Max in the balcony right now as of Friday when I went through the House chamber uh, would be 50 people and that would include staff as well as some overflow reporters. So I can't imagine uh, what the House would do in the case that some of these protesters who you know went to uh, downtown if they showed up what they would do. Uh, and then the other thing, of course, is whether ma members will be wearing masks. Uh, we saw a significant difference um, between the parties last week in the House, as well as both chambers. Um, many senators at the one committee meeting were wearing masks, uh, Republican and Democrat alike. In the House, not so much. A lot of Republicans uh, walking around with them either under their neck or uh, not having them on at all. I asked uh, Speaker Sexton about it, and he said, essentially, it's up to each member. 
Yeah, and it's it's apparently not up to staff members how staff members are all being required to wear them, and as is the public. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we'll we'll let you guys know um, what the building is like this week for most of you who can't be there. Um, and in the meantime, you will have to follow along the legislative proceedings by live stream as you always can, um, unless you want to be one of those limited number of people who can grab a seat in the, the House Chamber Gallery. Well, that's all we've got this week. As always, thanks for listening. And uh, you can find us on iTunes, Spreaker, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, you can also find us on Twitter at Grand Divisions 3. Natalie and I will continue to have stories throughout this week, so please check the USA Today uh, properties throughout uh, the week. Uh, John Garcia and Erica Whitney produce this podcast. As always, thanks for listening. I'm Joel Ebert. I'm Natalie Olson. See you next week.